Please pronounce your name correctly for me. <laughs> Martina Freitagova. And you are from? I'm from the Czech Republic. Right. And we're currently in Prague, where, but this is, you were, we were just talking before the episode started that you were not, f haven't been here for a while. Yes. Um, I studied uh, in London and uh, I also worked there for some time. Um, I also, uh, did some work experience um, in Germany, and uh, so it's a uh, it's been now four years that uh, that I'm back in Prague. One thing I always wonder about about creative people or people that choose to go into the creative industries is sort of how they got made. So your childhood, were your parents creative? Was it a teacher, a friend? Like, what was the influence that somehow brought you to working in the creative fields? Uh, well, I come from a relatively small city that, uh, you know, has one or two very small galleries and, uh, and I didn't, my parents um, are not working in the creative industry, but the turning point for me is, and it might sound like a little cliche, but uh, my dad took me when I was 18 uh, for a trip to New York and there we visited all these greats like the Met and, and the MoMA, MoMA yeah, and the Guggenheim and I just was, you know, it was fantastic and and uh, at that point I realized I want to dive deeper into this world and uh, find out what it's all about and how you can be part of it. Sure, yeah, mine. I, I remember being like five, in fifth grade and going to the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. and seeing these crazy things that I'm like, you can make these crazy things and that's okay. <laughs> so I decided to be an artist. <laughs> so, all right, and now currently... What try and give me a sort of a round? You seem to do many things. You have your, your lots of different interests and lots of different practices. So, what is it you currently are doing? Uh, well, currently I am mostly translating and uh, writing, and uh, I also uh, do a program for um, film festival on architecture. Um, architecture and uh, and art are sort of um, the areas I'm trying to combine and see how is it possible to combine them. Um, but uh, previously I did marketing and PR. Um, and I mean, these two things were always sort of uh, intertwining in, in what I've been doing because I studied, at first I studied marketing communications and PR, and then I studied art history. So um, that's... Uh, those are the two areas, the main two areas that... Uh... Okay. So you worked at Victoria Albert as an intern. You also worked at Sotheby's, is that correct? Christie's. Christie's, sorry. Yeah. I apologize to Christie's. That, yeah. And you also um, have worked at Rudolfinum here in Prague. So m one of my big questions for you is, of course, you, you have a background in marketing. You have experience in marketing. Marketing is one of the things that people in the arts industry have a lot of difficulty with in a general whole. So give me some uh, some stories. Like, what, what are some things that you have noticed that we are just horrible at? Uh, well, I think I've, I've been pretty lucky to, to have an experience from, uh, you know, one of 
the greatest museums like the Victoria and Albert, which is also a museum within the the global context that I feel does really great above average job in when it comes to marketing. And I also um, peeked into the marketing department of Christie's. It wasn't um, for a long time. But, you know, coming back to Prague, I felt obviously there is a, a certain difference uh, in, first of all, the approach to the field as such. Uh, and I think it's it's been changing. And also over the past four years, it has changed. At the beginning, I still had difficulties to convince people it's worthwhile having a marketing person in house. And, you know, you always uh, have these clashes like when when an exhibition is not successful, it's your fault. But when the exhibition is successful, it's it's not your fault. It's it's because the exhibition is good, right? Right. So, absolutely. You know, and then you come to the point that why why having uh, a marketing department and and uh, to convince people that uh, you know having a consistent brand and visual identity and all these things that are essential and that should work hand in hand uh, with the program mm-hmm. and uh, and this is what, for example, in the VNA was. Uh, um, you know, there was this striking difference that uh, the marketing department was the one who was choosing, say, the title of the exhibition. And they were really working with the curators on several aspects that you would not normally say it's the, the marketing's uh, task. And, and here, unthinkable. When I, when I said, uh, you know, this title is way too difficult to for the people to understand, for the people to get an idea of what it is and to actually, you know, we had once we had a title that was like three lines long and... No, it, the title it, needs know. to be like two, two <laughs> words. Yeah, and, and then I came and I was like, man, we need to make it to words and they looked at me like I came from Mars. And well, I mean, these, these <laughs> days it's got to be able to fit in a tweet. It's got to be able to fit uh, like on the, on the, just the headline part of a post exactly. on social media. So like, even if it's too many characters, it goes on to the next line and people just don't read it. I mean, the, the times are changing. So yeah, and it has changed here as well. So I think now, you know, many museums you see, uh, I think the, the marketing department of, for example, the National Gallery does a great job. National and, Gallery of Prague, uh, just exactly. because this is international. <laughs> and uh, they have uh, they have a new uh, new visual identity. They really work and, um, and try to uh, open it up to the people, which is uh, very difficult when it comes to these gigantic institutions that also you know normally here in Prague National Gallery has several buildings so it's not like one iconic um, metropolitan museum in New York or the Louvre you know so um, it's it's very difficult to put it together so that it makes sense to the people and the people can navigate oh yeah I live here for a couple years and I have not figured out all of their locations very clearly 
um, as far as like where an exhibition is. And a number of times I've shown up for an opening and been at the wrong location yeah. <laughs> because the, it's very, I, f I find it as a foreigner also not speaking the language and stuff. I find it very difficult to No worries. It, it happens to me sometimes yeah, as their, well. <laughs> their website, I think it's their website is very difficult to figure out where exhibitions are. I mean, it's, it, again, it sort of goes back to marketing things. Like you, you want to, when you build a website, you want all the information that's necessary within two to three clicks. You want it, yeah. you know, you want to think about the flow of how the prospective viewer would want to find the information instead of just sort of facts and knowledge base because that's not how people they, they it's not the intuitive nature that people these days find information so sorry no dig to national gallery's website but there are a lot of websites in the world that i don't like uh, well I, I think i can i can say that now they are working on a new website which should be uh published very soon so Great. But, um, you know, from what I see, it's also a process, it's, it's a long process and, uh, and it's, uh, it's a matter of priorities. And for a really long time, you know, coming back to what I said before, these things just, were just not uh, a priority. And then it comes to the managers or the, the heads of these institutions. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, still a big question. Again, taking the example of the National Gallery here, currently, you know, there is um, an interim director, so they're searching for um, a Yeah, I try to stay director. out of those political um, things. But I, so I think it's, uh, it's actually relevant point to address who or what kind of qualification that person should have and whether it should be just one person who has a great curatorial and uh, art historical career or, or a really great fundraiser and public relations person. Exactly. Cultural manager. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's still here a dirty word, almost. I mean, most places it's a dirty word, but it's um, a necessary dirty word. Yeah. And, and, you know, so should there be maybe two people splitting these roles? Because obviously there is this necessary criticism that a cultural manager doesn't understand the, the program and doesn't have the expertise. But... You know, then again, also, even if there is an art historian, the expertise is always limited to some area. So it's, uh, it's very difficult to... Yeah, you're uh, not going to get an art historian that is, specializes in all art history. Yeah. They, they have a, a specialization of a time period or a style or a medium or yeah, whatever. It, exactly. But I think it's uh, it's about... That the people understand what what the role entails and and what uh, what an institution needs on such level, and I think it's it's not really communicated or this is not really talked about, and we're still very much in this in this uh, old traditional idea that you know. Uh, you have a curator. He uh, he goes on this this career level, and uh, sorry, yes, he or she, and uh, and then uh, becomes a director. Yeah, but things have changed. I mean, I've had this discussion with some other people, which is independent curators. To me, is a reasonably new thing. I've been talking twenty. 25 years new, but still it's a reasonably new thing in the grand scheme of the arts. So the idea of the independent curators to then that then grow and become institutional curators instead of just going basically from your degree to a small institution, then to a bigger institution, to a massive institution, that they can go out and be independent for a long period of time mm. and then 
work their way into a big institution. So the way that people are even getting to work in these places is it ha- is changing uh, dramatically over the past 20 to 30 years. Yeah, and I think the word institution is very important because there are many people who, um, and this is usually where, where the criticism comes from, people who have never worked in an institution. And I'm, I'm you know, a, a person who believes in the role of an institution. And I think there are few people who have this love for institution. But what? Um, I love institutions. <laughs> and well, I feel it here in the in the art world. It's yeah. There does seem to be a very big animosity between sort of like. Uh, young exhibition spaces and and commercial galleries or even sort of even non-commercial galleries like galleries that are a bit higher level or whatever and and the institutions they seem to be at odds in Europe more so than I've seen in in necessarily in America or other places um there there seems to be this like um I I think part of it's because the a lot of the institutions are funded by government yes um funding is uh is a big topic, uh, it definitely. Is, and I'd love to and, talk uh, about it with you. <laughs> and uh, I, I actually uh, really like the um, the English system, the arm length mm. funding, and uh, and I believe here there is still a, a long way for the institutions to get into, um, you know combination of government funding and and self-funding very far yeah i mean i love the museum stores like every museum i go to in the world i always go to the museum store and i have to admit the museum stores here in in this region are not as strong as i've seen in other regions like if they want to try and get some things like that some funding through that kind of stuff they really got to up their game on their their uh, their museum shops definitely definitely So like, I want to get back into some marketing stuff because marketing, I feel, is one of the greatest weaknesses of artists, art galleries, or even curators, and, and of course the institutions. They uh, Many of them don't put in the money, the time, the effort, the thought into the, the marketing. Like as a practicing artist myself, I am my worst marketer. Uh, I cannot sell my artwork to save my life. Now, if you were an artist, I could sell your artwork, no problem. But there's that weird dynamic of being able to sell something that you're so attached to and so associated with. Uh, And I've worked in galleries and I've worked in museums and it's incredibly difficult to try to find even how who to or how to market to the right people. So like, how can a marketing person even figure out the right set of people or, or technique or methodology of uh, marketing to attract whatever clients, buyers, people to come to the institution? You can slim it down to your, your own knowledge. I'm giving you broad, all of the arts <laughs> ideas. So what's the method of saying like, okay, we have this big thing. How do we find the right people to participate by whatever show up? When, uh, when I studied marketing, many people went to agencies and I could never understand, um, how, how can you, you know, do one promote one week, you know, the window producer 
and another sell an exhibition. It's impossible. And I I actually don't really uh, believe in in the the quality of of that approach and i always think you know agency work should be combined with in-house marketing and and that's why i, w- I had always closer to being part of of something that i want to promote and um thoroughly understand the product in quotation marks be it an exhibition an institution as such, an event or a handbag. You you really need to have a close connection and understanding. But sometimes like in the case of an artist, too close a connection can actually be a detriment. Yes, but that's, you know, it's part of part of the role of a good marketer to mm. yeah, to create this uh, this sort of distance and uh, and when it comes to artists um of course, what I would say, uh, and, and you know, I myself also have problem in self-promotion. It, I think it is our worst many, many problem. people do. And, you know, pairing with someone uh, is always uh, the best way. And I would love, yeah. <laughs> we all want to find some partner, some business manager, some marketing person, whatever. Because most of us don't get into the creative industries to be marketers or to be business people. But in the end, we have to be all these things or be able to afford to hire people to do all these things. Exactly. When it comes to uh, marketing of a gallery or a museum, it comes back to what I said earlier, really working alongside with other people, with other departments, the curatorial team, the exhibition managers uh, and the the exhibition doers, makers. And not only take what they come to you with, with an exhibition of, of, uh, of artists and here is the product, sell it. You know, I just don't think that uh, that could work. Marketing person needs to be there from the very beginning, from the, the brainstorming process throughout uh till the end and although it might seem that you know i might be just like the the person who has uh, nothing to do and nothing to say at these meetings i absorb i absorb sure. I, mean, I work i can, I can, I can imagine I can everything from from color palettes and fonts that would be used for the marketing of it would be influenced by the work itself and then also by following the branding of the ind- of the the institution so i mean there's all kinds of different aspects that like you need to be involved in all along the planning that will help with the the general output of the marketing I'm on your side, by the way. So, like, I believe that you're of great benefit. So, I do. So, you don't have to convince me. Now, maybe the listeners don't believe you. So, like maybe <laughs> you have to convince them. But, okay, when it comes to the marketing, what have you had experience as far as like, so print is old school, digital, social media, websites, what other type of marketing is, is currently being used or should be thought about or what, what's effective, what's not effective? Give me some insider knowledge. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would not be, you know, so convinced about print is dead. Let's 
focus it all on uh, social media and no, uh, it's all a percentage uh, like how you know so like a certain percentage digital certain percentage physical for me it was always this holistic approach it's about timing all these things together and and really creating a strategy of how one thing uh, connects to the other and and that you can do a campaign on social media but you still need something to refer to be it your website uh, an article in a newspaper um, a tv report or uh, you are you you have your curator on a radio you still have to think that uh, it would be great to combine it with the special program of the exhibition and promote it through through that so it's this spider web that uh that connects all these dots and uh so it's it's not so easy to to just say hey this is the trick and this is the I'm secret looking for right the trick. now <laughs> yes that's what i want i want a trick i want somebody to give me a trick and say do this and you'll it'll work and I, unfortunately the, the truth is i know that that's impossible and completely not true in any business much less the arts but it's what i want <laughs> but for me it's always knowing your audience and uh, you know i um okay but how do you figure out your audience i came i came uh, back here from london and i thought hey you know i know my my stuff and uh, i want to i want to implement it all i want to do all these things and and then i i very quickly realized Martina, this is not how it works because uh, you really need to be here for some time and talk to the people. You know, it, it really comes down to, as we do this podcast right now, to be out there and talk to the people and being at other openings, know the journalists here as it is a very small world, and now we're coming more from marketing to PR, to public relations and and media relations, but uh, which I uh, want to know more about as well. It's it's always in most cases it's combined. Uh, so marketing and PR uh, is usually a task of one person in in galleries, and it it's you know it's not bad. Although sometimes, you know, these people just feel overwhelmed because they, they do everything. But for example, uh, in the VNA, uh, you would have, you would send out uh, invitations to a press conference to journalists and, and create really a special event for them. And this unique slot and you you they they would take it they would know that you know they have the unique opportunity to see it uh to see the exhibition in advance uh they would have all these artists and curators and uh, museum directors there at hand available for all the questions and they would sort of be really grateful for that opportunity here i when I started, nobody came to the press conference and I was like, what's going on? Really? What's happening? And you, no, you're talking at Rudolfinum. And now I'm talking uh, yeah. when I when I was head of communications at the gallery at Rudolfinum and, uh, and I just uh, couldn't get it. And then, you know, you realize uh, because I got all these phone calls that 
there are not so many journalists and they they all know the artists they know the curators and they want their their special session and it's it's how it worked here it was the other way around you know i had to i had to come to them when they were available when they had their unique slot for me or for you know for for my exhibition hmm. not the other way around well, but I mean, that's the difference of, of a, a major institution like the V&A versus a regional institution like the Rudolfina. I mean, well, in the Czech context, I don't think, I mean, I don't think Gallery Rudolfina is, is so regional. It's it's one of the, um, you know, three biggest institutions uh, here in the capital of Prague. But it's not so, the V&A. It's not the V&A, of course. Yes. I mean, that, that's like comparing, uh, yeah. A very a regional institution to a worldwide known institution, a brand. But it's uh, it's also the understanding of how these processes work, and I think the scale, of course, matters. Mm -hmm. But I feel, and from what I've heard, it was also the practice of the National Gallery, and this is much bigger um, institution now. So, but it also is has also changed. And uh, and we were trying to uh, figure out ways how to change it and how to maybe change the format of press conferences and uh, turn the conversation a bit around. Right. Well, I mean, because that's one of the big questions, of course, is always how do you get press? I mean, everybody wants press. I don't care if they're a gallery, an artist or whatever. Everybody wants some amount of press because it elevates their status in mm. some way. So like... So what you're saying is like in one situation in a particular country working for a particular scale of institution, one system worked and in a different, in a different country at a different scale, it, that same system failed completely and it was completely flipped the opposite way. So what, what have you learned from that? So like what, what, what is a generalized best practice at this point having participated in basically two polar opposite versions of the same scenario. Well, again, knowing who you're talking to. And I think I'm really glad that I had almost these two polar opposite experiences to understand that maybe the best is uh, somewhere in the middle, but, but you always have to adjust exactly to the to the institutions and the environment you work for well but you also have to be sort of you have to be the leader in a certain way you need to push a little bit you can't just yes accept but, how but it has been, always been done understanding doesn't mean accepting so understanding in the way that you that you have the basis, um, you know what you work with, and then you can change it, and then you can do something with it. Sure, play their game, but change one rule at a time, <laughs> slowly. And yeah, and I mean, it, when it comes to, and it, and it's called relations, it's called public relationships, and this is like you know our personal relationships, it takes time to create them and it takes time to gain the trust to uh, set a certain level of mutual respect. And so it's also when, um, when you hire a marketing person, it's, it's very naive to think that you will get the results tomorrow. Oh, absolutely not. Because they have to 
personally make new relationships. Exactly. But it's, it's, it's not only about, um, about the specific person who needs to make these relationships, but it's about creating a certain level of communication that should work regardless of, um, and of course it comes down to this, this one person to some extent, but, but I believe a setting a certain level of communication is really important. And this is what I try to do in, in Rudolfinum creating certain processes that are long-term and that I, I believe they work and uh, that the whole institution and the communication of that institution won't change when I leave it, um, but that it'll continue. And, and this is, again, like a mix of all these things like creating a really strong brand, uh, visual identity, uh, setting uh, a certain level of, of communication with the press through press conferences, uh, through other, other ways like um, artist talks, um, I don't know, breakfast for journalists, etc, etc. Et and yeah, and I, I always try to, to see long term and I always try to work on, on things that um, that could have an impact also you know a few years a uh, few years later and seeing long term is great but a lot of us don't have the budget to be able to you know project like hire somebody or pay somebody for the the planned future income or the planned future you know relationships that are going to be built it, it's difficult i mean so like shifting gears a little bit to so like funding the arts because i mean the it, part of this is that a lot of these organizations and businesses and people that need these marketing people can't afford them how do we find ways to do that do you know any ways because i don't that's why i'm asking <laughs> so when i come back to my uh, my role in marketing and and uh, galleries i think i spent a lot of time convincing the management that my job to to give my job a higher priority and this is this is when i um this is what i meant when i said that i always worked sort of with a long-term idea i i didn't um take say the exhibition and spend all the money on i don't know um outdoor advertisement and uh, and online banners and ads and like putting it out there all over the place and basically uh stick the name of the institution um around but i spent why not that's what marketing is yes that's what marketing is and this is like i did it obviously i had to but um I spent a lot of time and I think a lot more time trying to convince other people that, uh, you know, I don't know, we need a new new website, we need a new visual identity, we need a sort of brand manual, we need to establish a certain level of perception of the of the gallery regardless of what exhibition we have on right now but uh i get it i know all about brand manuals and all these um, things i'm all for it <laughs> but it, it's hard i mean 
they take time, they take market research, they take planning, they take, and, and, and all of these things are effort and time that's put into something that literally has no direct one-to-one return on investment. So it's basically, you have to have the time, the energy, and the money to invest in something that won't potentially give you returns for years. That's hard for smaller organizations, you know, because like I'm thinking of this from everything from small institutions to gal to younger galleries to even individual artists. The, that entire idea is pie in the sky to us. It's like I would love to have that, you know. But how can we find ways to accomplish these kinds of things if where our budgets are limited? To be quite honest, I. And all the institutions I worked for, and they they were non-commercial organizations, I didn't, I mean, I always feel like there is the money. It's just wrongly allocated, right? I'm <laughs> so, not here to tell people how to spend their money, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then obviously I'm in, um, in, in no position uh, to actually do that it's the um, the directors yeah, the managers the board, yeah. and, and the board but um, but I feel you know uh, just coming from the marketing perspective fundraising is not your task your I mean we all do contribute uh, in, in a certain way but but that's someone else's task so you're sort of given the the budget mm. All right, let me shift it a little bit. Let's try and get more specific about this. If there was a, a, let's take like a a good sized gallery or even like a reasonably mid-career artist or something like this, what should they be focusing their time and energy on? So like, is it using social media? Is it doing paid advertisements on social media? Is it building a better website? Is it... um, making more relationships with critics and curators, etc. Like, what's the best use of their time and money? Altogether. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very... I, I understand you want me to say this one thing. And, I do. Uh, <laughs> I want the magic combination. Let's get a little um, fairy dust on and, it and, like, this you is know, the perfect this outcome. This is, like, uh, 20% there, 30% yeah, yeah, there. And, yeah, perfect. Uh, yes. Can you give that? <laughs> That's exactly what I want. Um, no. Yeah. I mean, this is my job to do for the gallery. And this is what I deliver uh, to the gallery or to the institution I work for. And uh, yes, so that's exactly my job. Okay. But there is no general um, percentage allocation. Okay. Okay. Let's not do percentage allocation, but let's do what, what have you found to be useful and successful? And what have you found to be less useful and successful? Like what, what actually seems to really help and elevate the marketing and public relations of a whatever more? I take it from the perspective of a comparison, uh, to the London environment I worked in before and and here. For me, the first thing, it's it was always the website. It was always something, you know, I can create an image of an institution, although I'm not here personally, physically. 
and that was for me very disappointing when I, when I came back and and this is the first point of contact for many people and if we want to as in we the Czech art scene want to be more visible and more significant in the um, wider context of say European um, art scene then I think this is just the very basic uh, thing to do. It, do. it doesn't have to be all um, artsy uh, with, uh, with great uh, visuals and colors and m movements and all this. Like websites need to be super easy that you can navigate, you can, you can understand your way around, but at the same time get an idea what the institution is about. Yeah, I mean, all these things are pretty simple. It's it's just common sense, you know. I, I don't think I've reinvented the wheel here, but... You'd be surprised um, how com how not common common sense is. Unfortunately. But I think, I mean, you know, this was just a, a surprising thing for me at the beginning. And, uh, you know, we tried to uh, do something. And uh, I think Rudolfinum was one of the first of these... Uh, bigger institutions here who who actually introduced a new website now uh, the national gallery will will introducing uh, will be introducing and there are other other ones coming um, as well but yeah i mean if you wanted one thing then <laughs> website's most important i don't say it's the most important in the general marketing activity but it's one of the key key elements Because the Czech art scene is is so small, and and you sort of assume and and to big extent it is the way that everybody knows everyone. Just to be clear, this podcast I've been traveling already to Berlin and Vienna, and I hope in the near future to go to Amsterdam and Helsinki and and Copenhagen, and and I actually even put a grant in to go to Singapore. And so the idea is of the podcast is to actually go around the world and see the common and uncommon mm. traits and techniques and ideas and thoughts about how the art industry works individually, uniquely in regions, but also how it works as a worldwide global thing. So yeah. Prague market's great, but I'm also, the, 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 the listeners are also worldwide. But I, but I think, you know, having a small art scene is a common thing and and then you know in vienna or uh, copenhagen i think you you will encounter the same problems or um, issues but but obviously you know I'm, I'm linking it to prague so it might seem that maintaining relationships is pretty easy right because you just have a small number of people not for me to, i'm horrible uh, at it <laughs> to talk to but i think in general it's you know you you know who they are and uh, you will most probably meet them at the next opening uh, or um, somewhere else in a gallery so oh yeah everywhere i've lived you you after like maybe a year to two years like you pretty much know everybody at every opening or it's very rare to see yeah. new people and you know even the global art scene there might be just few more people but when it when you compare it to other industries it is a small world it you know you you can still sort of grasp it as as one person 
in finance or or somewhere it's impossible but the art world in general we is, are a very uh, niche thing among the world point. but what what i feel here is that it's very easy to become very friendly and to to create uh deeper relationships which might be great and hey i you know i'm i'm not against it making new friends and uh, and creating a connection that's that's great but on the professional level it might be a disadvantage and i feel it is a great problem when it uh, when it comes to uh, a curator choosing an artist to exhibit uh, suddenly you know you disappoint you choose one you disappoint five others um, and then you have instances where people sort of isolate themselves they don't want to become too close with anyone so you can hardly talk to them because they feel you know everybody is is uh, attacking them sort of and wanting wanting something wanting an exhibition or well, wanting yeah. I um, mean and that's an inch, a difficult dynamic of like when you when you make a relationship let's say a, a gallery to a curator or or an artist to a curator the relationship cannot be a somebody wants something from the other mm. it has to be a mutually beneficial relationship in some way like the the trying to become friends with or trying to become associated with somebody because they will give you something mm. is never going to work because that person is always going to know that they have been are being used in some way yeah and but, no, but nobody likes being used i mean there is always i think you know when when it comes to uh to work there is always an agenda right like you inevitably uh but it's it's also a way how you communicate it it's another part of you know, that's why what what i've studied was called marketing communications public relations and and so it really comes to how you how you put it through and keeping a professional level both from say the curators or the gallery sides and the artist sides so not to feel offended when I'm not having an exhibition in this particular gallery where, you know, my, the the director or the curator is my great friend. But, you know, I don't get offended because I understand that there is a certain uh, uh, certain program, that there is uh, there are certain topics, there are certain themes, there are there are other things that they needed to uh bring into consideration so the level of professionalism is super important in uh, and in very hard keeping it when you feel you became friends or closer friends with someone well and that's the difficulty that i find is like how do you balance that act of basically being close enough but not too close like you want to be friendly but not necessarily a friend. You want exactly. to have a good relationship, but not be a like a close relationship. So, and that's difficult because uh, you know I, I'm the kind of person. You know I'm a I'm a sort of an addictive personality kind of thing. Like if I like somebody, I want to hang out with them a lot. Mm. If I, and then that that becomes too close, too friendly, and that could potentially fall into this trap. And so, 
how do you keep that professional balance, basically? Do you have any techniques that you personally have used to make sure you don't go sort of too friendly and stay friendly Well, I, I think sometimes to my disadvantage, I am open and I, I'm really... Uh, saying what, what I what I think and how I that how I see things. That can be very detrimental. And yeah, I mean it it could be it could be problematic, but I feel you know it's the easiest way what, what I what I really don't don't like when people are too strategic. You know, when you do a great work uh, you don't have to be humble about it, but when you here, you do. It's all about being humble here in this region. It's this fake humbleness. It really is, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, and, good. Because uh, my wife and I, she's Czech, and I'm from the United States. She's constantly, oh, you need to be more humble. You need to be more humble. And I'm like, no, no, you need to be more proud of what you do. <laughs> you know, you need to be more uh, sort of your own cheerleader. Mm. And so we have this battle going back and forth where she believes I should be more humble and I believe that she should be more proud, basically. And, um, of course, I think I'm right. Well, <laughs> <laughs> and I would be probably on the side of your wife, but... Uh, but I understand, and this is what I learned abroad. And you can't really hide it. If you do something, you do great work, you do it with passion, and that shows. So, you know, trying to be humble about it, it it's not it's not the way. It, it, it will always show that you're just like uh, maybe uh, trying to uh, suppress something unnecessarily or maybe there is like some other Coming agenda yeah. behind it and i'm going to be mysterious to try to be more mysterious it doesn't come across um as professional i mean i think me. well i think in the end it has to go back to you just have to be sort of true to yourself so like if you are a showy outgoing person be a showy outgoing person if yeah. you are a humble person be a humble person basically don't enter into the arts world and try to be something you're not because automatically that's going to feel false and people will know it. Exactly. So in the end, be true to who you are and just, but, but, you know, but take who you are and when the way you interact with people as your strength, that's the way you do it. So don't follow how other people do it. If they seem to be succeeding, but do the way you do it and do it the best you can do. Yeah, so I think you answered your question. I did. I know, but <laughs> sometimes it, sometimes so, it takes a, a, yeah. another person, a, yeah. another person to bounce. No, an idea I, I completely off of. agree. I completely agree, and wouldn't uh, say it better. So one question is a pretty simple question: is the advice just some some specific some sort of specific advice of what I would love is specific advice of what not to do. From your own experience, the, what what didn't work, or what was like, hey, this is a great idea, and that great idea was wrong. You know, what have you learned from your own mistakes, or the easy one, which is from your experience, what are good positive things? <laughs> I like learning from mistakes. We're still talking about marketing, sure. Or... <laughs> okay, you can talk about any mistake you want, um... any relationship mistakes, <laughs> any job related mistakes. Um, I made loads um and i think mistakes are great <laughs> but, 
because yeah you you learn so much um and you can never completely avoid them at the beginning uh when i started working here um in marketing i i sort of took certain things for granted because i learned them that way and then in my work experience i i saw they work actually i came here and maybe you know coming coming across as a bit arrogant because i thought hey this is like this is given and i probably didn't listen to the people enough i i don't want to say you have to 100% adjust uh, you need to listen to the people and maybe find new ways to the goal you have set set up as you have been taught at school or or in your previous work experience oh sure I, i was a teacher and every time i went to a new school i was always like oh this class went really well in this old school we should teach it at this new school and they'd be like no the, there's no interest in this place this region um, for that type of a course yeah. and so listening to the people who've had probably more experience and more time in that region is always a good thing so yeah um but on the other hand i have to say that um at some point uh i could have been more um more self-confident in the way that and it's again an inevitable topic to uh, to address is uh, how women are treated uh, in the industry, and coming here as as a woman, um, very young. I, I don't think anyone had uh, had that position uh, with twenty five years, and suddenly you're talking to very experienced men who who i uh, respect and respect their practice but i didn't feel that respect towards me and and towards what i have achieved and i also have some experience but i you know wanted to to change something to push something forward and suddenly i was uh, stepping on someone else's toes which was very uncomfortable and and yeah and i think you know the these tensions um are still are still there um i have to admit i'm a white american male and i don't know much about these so i like in the people i talk to i i don't uh, or i do end up talking to a lot of women who are in great roles and great positions and so i don't know much about this sexism mm. that goes on don't mm. get me wrong i'm not ignorant of it i'm aware that it exists but is it lessening is it getting better well i think uh what is a good thing that uh this topic is talked about mm. and it's out there uh much more when it comes to the practice i'm not sure i'm in you know and now i'm uh I'm working with great people and I for for some years I haven't had uh, necessarily bad experiences. Um well it's funny cuz like as you're talking about this I'm thinking back over all my bosses, my deans, with the gallery owners, almost every person that's been my superior has been a woman. Mm. So so <laughs> I I think I come from a slightly different sort of experience background like I mean I remember the 
president of my art school was a woman. The the first gallery owner I worked for was a woman. My my best dean was a woman. Well, then you were lucky. My, my worst deans <laughs> were men. They were horrible people oftentimes. But the, my best deans were the women that I worked for. So like, I'm I've had a life in the arts where like women have often been in power over me. So mm. I don't see this so much, <laughs> but. Well, here, uh, I think there are still not enough women uh, at, uh, at higher positions and managerial positions. And um, Well, I'm all for it. I'm on your side because I love my bosses that are women. And yeah, and I, I think it's, uh, it's a super necessary uh, thing that needs to change and... And especially in the Czech Republic, this shift, which I believe has started, uh, but still needs to get into effect. There's so much more you want to say about that, but you're biting your yes, tongue it's horribly. A, it's, a, <laughs> it's just like a, um, a new, uh, a completely new topic for a new podcast. So that's why. Uh, it is actually. I've, and I, it's funny, I've thought about trying to do, maybe doing some episodes like on a topic, like a mm. single topic and maybe getting like a multiple people involved, like doing like two or more guests and having like a round table discussion kind Definitely. of thing. Uh, it's a, possibly something for a future idea mm. is to like get some, you know, maybe get a group of women to just talk about issues about being a woman in the arts. Kind yeah. Of thing. But I would love to. This sounds great. Other ways to expand the podcast and the new things. <laughs> I'm so That's much good. looking forward to that episode. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, yeah. Why not? All right. Last question. Most difficult question. Have you listened to the podcast? Like a whole podcast? No. Okay, I have to. Because it's the last admit. question. It's fine. It's the last question I ask <laughs> I have, everybody. I have uh, looked through them and I saw you had some curators from Vienna just recently. And uh, I'm still I, posting I, my I, Vienna uh, ones, actually. Yeah. I've, so I've you been have to... a Vienna uh, series? Well, the, the way I'm doing the podcast is I travel to a place. So I'll go to, so I went to Berlin, I went to Vienna, I'm going to go to Amsterdam in the near future. And, uh, and so I'll take like five days and I'll do like four podcasts a day for five days. And then I'll come back. Mm. And so then I have like two months worth of podcasts to slowly put out over the time. So yeah, I do sort of like community by community and then dole them out over the next two months. So, so it's the yeah, most cost effective way I figured out how to yeah, do this. Definitely, yeah. definitely. But I, I love podcasts and, uh, you know, it's just, you start, you start with 10, 15 minutes and then you have to do something else. And uh, it's a... Uh, my last question is this. Okay, so the idea of the podcast is to try and find some way to be for the people listening and potentially focusing this at this point on artists, okay? How can they be more successful in whatever way they define success in the arts? I created an arbitrary goal that I'm trying to achieve. So through the, what, the things I'm going to learn from all the different people I talk to, I would like to achieve having a piece of my artwork on exhibition in the Museum of Modern Art in New York. Just one piece Just a very on humble exhibition, goal. <laughs> humble goal, not shooting for the stars. <laughs> Simple. So, but the, so the question is, how can I, what's something that I can do in my career from your experiences? So it's something that I can do literally and as a proxy for everybody listening something that I can do in my career to put my career on the right track. So I'm not asking for the end step of like how to literally get in the Museum of Modern Art, 
but what should an artist do to get themselves on the right trajectory to get in that direction of a major institution? It could be Tate Modern. It could be any other one you want to associate with it. That's it. There you go. Small uh, goals. Now, I will probably not sound as a marketing person, but uh, I'm an idealist and I believe in and I believe in great art. That's why I'm in the in the field. And f for me, making art is an intrinsic drive that it would be great to be in MoMA, but I don't do it because I want to be in MoMA, right? I do art for other reasons. And if these, if, if I have these right reasons, then it's just like a, a cherry on top being in an institution. But making art is about, it's about this, this passion and, uh, and so then it naturally talks to the people around and, and sort of, uh, you know, spreads around. And, and this might sound, you know, uh, just like a very idealist uh, We're standpoint. all idealists. I mean, in all honesty, <laughs> people who are not idealists are bankers and financiers. <laughs> I mean, creative people by their nature are idealists. So in, in this way, I feel the, for artists this this all the whole strategic thinking and marketing and and that is best done by by other people <laughs> great how much do you cost so can we can i pay you by the hour to do my marketing and publicity um yeah let's uh, let's talk about it okay great marvelous <laughs> i need grant writer and i need an artist statement writer and i need all kinds of help <laughs> Okay, so no great advice per se. Like, I mean, because it's it's a difficult thing. I mean, the idea was when I created the podcast. I, basically, it's like it, it's just a bunch of conversations. If there's not something to be able to be achieved mm. by it, some outcome that can say, okay, wait, all the things that have been listened to and learned from all these interactions can actually create change, a difference, or you know, an advance to your career kind of thing. That's why I created it. It's not necessarily my actual goal, though I would enjoy it if it <laughs> happened. Yeah, well, you know, it's in the end, it really comes down to being at the right time, uh, at the right place and seizing the opportunity and actually seeing, you know, when you when you make this first step and and have a small audience, then actually building on it don't just say oh that's great and then i come home and i'm like you know happy about it and and then you know then i sort of uh, come come back uh behind the closed doors but trying to uh to work with these uh, these little things uh, know how to leverage some, some amount of success into more success yeah. Um, but yeah, but uh, we don't know I'm how not, to do that. I'm, I'm definitely not giving any any great. Uh, <laughs> we, but we don't know tips, how to leverage uh, these things. That's I mean, I've had certain amount of success in my career, and I've failed miserably at leveraging mm. it to better success. <laughs> so like that's one of the things is like many of us can get like the foot in the door, but it's like once you have the foot in the door, how do you open mm. the door? Mm. 
But it, I mean, yeah, it's uh, it's again coming from the marketing perspective, having uh, a great portfolio, having it accessible easily. And again, like, you know, you just have a website that you can build on, then you can promote on your social media and that you can show to people. You have to be out there to a great extent. Which is so bad. I just realized this is you're my like 58th guest. <laughs> and I just realized on my last conversation with the, my previous guest that I, not once had I ever even mentioned my own website. <laughs> 58 guests and I'd never said please check out my work matthewdoles.com <laughs> not once it's I, that's how bad a marketer I am so you need to have it you know just under the podcast it needs to say www.matthewdoles.com I know <laughs> so bad all right thank you very much for your time <laughs> thank you If you enjoy the podcast, I would appreciate a five-star rating and please tell your friends to listen and subscribe also. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.